0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control... I discovered creative control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements. And uh, I stumbled across this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times. And it went really well and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting. And I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in, or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, you know, go ahead and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control. Now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So yay vish, yay Creative Control.
2: To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today.
3: Diana Riolino is a tremendously gifted lyricist, singer, and musician based in southern Ontario in Canada. A crucial and striking member of Daniel Romano's outfit, Riolino is also a solo artist in her own right, steeped particularly in country music and classic pop idioms. On October 14th, 2022, You've Changed Records released one of the finest records of the year with All Blue, Riolino's stunning, multi-layered, and star-studded debut album. And so, Juliana and I connected for our first ever in-depth conversation where we covered things like uh, what it was like growing up in Welland, Ontario, how her parents introduced her to music via theatrical musicals, loving The Who, her tremendous presence as a live performer, embracing and exploring rather timeless genres, and how some might be easier to age gracefully into than others. Tangential ponderings of people like Emmylou Harris, Jay-Z, Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, George Harrison, Paul McCartney, and John Lennon, the evocative and occasionally scientific lyrical wordplay on All Blue, its sound and the deeply reflective nature of this album, spirituality and morality, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make generous, flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control to keep this podcast going. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 724 of Creative Control featuring the brilliant and lovely Juliana Riolino with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Juliana. How are you?
4: Good, Vish. How are you?
3: I'm well. It's nice to see you and speak with you. Uh, where in the world are you today?
4: Uh, I'm in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. Oh, St.
3: Saint- Saint Catharines, Ontario. What brings you to St. Catharines?
4: Well, I'm at Kenneth Roy Meehan's house. He's been kind enough to engineer this whole thing for, for me. I live in the country, so our my Wi-Fi is dismal at, at right. best.
3: I see. What well, what part of the country do you live in exactly? Where do you live?
4: Uh, we live in Ridgeville, Ontario. It's about ten minutes up the road from St. Catharines.
3: Okay, so yeah. not you're not in you're not in Welland at all then. No, really.
4: no, no, no. Okay. No, we're close to Welland. Uh, I grew up in Welland.
3: Oh, you grew up that's where you grew up. See, yeah. I, I for those wondering why I brought up Welland, uh, often your colleague Daniel Romano is on the show. And he is based just outside of Welland. Is that correct?
4: Yes. Uh, yeah. He, right. He, yeah, we're about eight minutes away from one another. Uh, also, he's also in the country ish. He's in right. He's a, he's eight minutes up the road. We're all kind of in between each other.
3: Right. So you grew up in Welland. Did you know Daniel uh, growing up?
4: I did. Kind of on the periphery. He is couple two tree years older than me so we re- we we ran in different circles but the same circles because we we're both involved in music
3: right okay because yeah. I uh, I'll tell you this uh, Juliana uh it's it's a pleasure to get to talk to you about your own record but I believe the first time I encountered you on stage was uh in an out at an outfit show and I believe for me it was a really significant one I think Potentially the first and only time I've seen you perform with the outfit uh, was opening for the Sadies at Lee's Palace in 2019. Was that an early show for you even?
4: I mean, yeah, I think we had... My first show with the outfit was Maddie Fest, actually. So, I don't it was know. It a festival in Toronto. Yeah, festival yeah. in Toronto. Yeah, I guess it was still kind of early days. I think we had done um, like an East Coast tour... And yeah, yeah. So it was early days. ish. Yeah.
3: All uh, all I wanted to say is it stuck out for me. It was a fantastic show, even by some of the Sadie's accounts. Uh, that night, you really kind of blew everyone away. Maybe blew them off the stage, which is not an easy feat with the Sadies. <laughs> but that was by some. That was I. I will say I don't. I'm not picking sides. <laughs> At least one Sadie told me that they were like, "Holy shit!" And and it was a holy shit moment for me too, because. I've seen Daniel play in all sorts of configurations. But yeah, that outfit band that night, something else. But what I I also want to say beyond the whole band was you stuck out for me. I instantly was like, who in the hell is this? (laughs) Because you were really giving it and it was really fun. Yeah, I really love your live performances (laughs) is all I'm getting at. Uh, Thank you. So prior to uh, connecting with the outfit, uh, you made music on your own. Is that what you're saying?
4: Yeah, I did. I... Have sort of been playing and writing my own songs since, you know, end of high school, like teen years. I would say I really got into it. I taught myself guitar and figured out a way to put all the melodies in my head to song. So that's probably when I started doing it. And yeah. <laughs>
3: So so around high school, do you know what your entry point was? Uh, was? Was there a lot of singing in your upbringing or anything like that?
4: Not really, actually. Um, neither of my parents are musical, although they are lovers of music. But nobody else in my family sings. I just kind of took to it. Hmm. I don't know if it was... I think my earliest memory of singing is... My parents went to go see Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat starring Donnie Osmond. Oh wow. And they brought they brought the CD home. They brought me like home a shirt and a CD and I like listened to that CD every single day <laughs> until eventually they took me to go see it and they had to like sit me down before the show and and be like, "Okay, Juliana, there are a lot of people paying a lot of money to see Donnie Osmond perform and sing. So you have to do your best not to sing.
0: <laughs>
4: and I was maybe like six or seven and I was just like, like couldn't, I couldn't contain myself, I remembered. But I was like so young, everyone just thought it was cute. So I got away with
3: it. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I've tried to do my best with my children to uh, bring them to things and, and let them see things and, and listen to things. So uh, I think that's, a I hope... It sounds like for you, anyway, I can't speak to what's going to happen with my kids, but it sounds like uh, for you, it was a very formative thing uh, to have your parents bring you to such a thing.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my earliest memory. I think I've always, I've always, you know, you, you play music around your kids and they either take to it or react to it or not. Yeah. And I think I probably reacted in a really positive way and showed an interest. So my parents just kind of you know cultivated that that desire
3: (laughs) now so when your parents uh uh, guide you in any way uh when you're young you might initially be all in uh, but at some point Mm -hmm. you develop just i think uh, over uh, in an evolutionary sense you start to rebel a little bit did you have Mm -hmm. uh, older friends or cousins or siblings or anything like that who were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Donnie Osmond's just fine, but let me show you the real shit. There's some a whole oh, other. Oh yeah. Yeah, you have that.
4: Yeah, I mean, I have an older sister, and uh, she was, she actually, she played bass. So she she played bass. I I played guitar. Uh, we never we never started a band. It was always like just our separate little things that we did, which is odd when I think about it. Yeah. But yeah, she was like super into. Like heavier music, I guess. So I kind of would just hop on. Also, we, we grew up, you know, I'm from the generation of like LimeWire. Oh, yeah. And, right. you yeah. know, like downloading music. So you kind of, which, you know, is bad when you think about it, but. Um, Was the
3: gateway for everything we're going through right now.
4: Uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think. You know, definitely my older sister, and I think just having, like, access to, like, a giant database of music, you just kind of, I remember just kind of, like, falling into things and finding things that I liked.
0: Um, Yeah.
3: So, when you talk about the LimeWire and your sister and the influences there, uh, are there any particular artists that come to mind from that period? Because for those of us who have been uh, more recently exposed to you and your work, you definitely seem to be a huge fan of country music, uh, and and I would say you probably are a country artist based on uh, this record, this brilliant record, All Blue, uh, but I also want to get into this with you, because I think uh, I'm quite astounded by uh, not only the lyrics, but just the language choices. They're really interesting to me, and I want to ask you about that in a bit, but uh, country music, was that your first LimeWire thing, or was there other stuff?
4: I I don't remember. I mean... Yeah, I'm trying to, like, rack my brain. Hmm. I think, okay, I will say my rock and roll, like, spiritual awakening moment. Like, you know, I think Broadway music, like, musicals was, like, when I was, like, a really young kid. And then I think from the years of, like, you know, 10 to now, it started off with The Who, I would say. My dad was a huge Who fan. And uh, I remember him playing their records and me just being like, What is this? <laughs> like, having the biggest crush on Pete Townsend and like every single member of the band in their own way, and being like, That's what I want to do, you know. That's sweet, you know.
3: It's funny you brought this up because I was watching a bit of this, uh, and I talked to. Uh, your friend and mine there, Dan Romano, was on the show some weeks ago to talk about this great new record of yours, uh, La Luna. Mm-hmm. But anyway, mm-hmm. I had referenced this live at Lee's performance video that was released while you guys were all stuck in Europe with the COVID. And, yeah. And um, the first two songs, it's Toulouse and... Sorry, is it Anyone's Arms? Is that the other one?
4: Yes. Yeah. I think it's... Yeah, yeah. Is that well, Anyone's Arms into Toulouse. Right, there's a medley.
3: Yeah. I think The Who in particular... Uh, if As I think on it From the earliest parts of the, the band's history They seemed really interested in kind of review Style performance So like songs melding into one another uh, mm-hmm. Creating a real show uh, mm-hmm. And when I think of the outfit I can see that, like You know With Dan in particular People have been trying to kind of pigeonhole Where the influences are And I think sometimes he's worn them on his sleeves a little bit And now I feel mm-hmm. like it's just all over the place um with with it the punk and the rock and the country and all those sorts of things. But anyway, yeah, I just want to say that. Like I feel like you maybe if you're if the who is on your is a common uh interest, maybe they're influencing the live show a little bit. Is that fair?
4: I would say that's fair. Yeah. yeah definitely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the point is also, I mean, you look at any rock and roll band throughout history like Stones, The Who, you know. Like any anything like that, we're we're down with.
3: Well, there's the show. Know. The showmanship is what I'm kind of getting to. Is it's not yeah. just it's not just the great records. It's actually like how do we bring this to the stage? Yeah. And I feel like that has really been heightened. And again, watching the live at Lee's video, I am compelled mm-hmm. and mesmerized by you in particular. You are just a great stage presence. So beyond the singing, let's just get to this right away. Right. As a performer, where are you? <laughs> what are you drawn from there? Because you seem. Like the happiest person ever to be on stage sometimes is what I, that's my take on it. Like this. That's,
4: yeah. I mean, I am really happy to be on stage. <laughs> I would say what fuels me is anxiety.
3: <laughs> ah, interesting.
4: <laughs> I feel like throughout the years, I I have figured out a way to harness the anxiety and use it to my advantage, I think.
3: Well, it's true. <laughs> I think sometimes bravado is the product of insecurity and anxiety. That's true. <laughs> We see this with the animals, right the animals that's like, "Ah they're actually scared, they seem yeah. like they're gonna attack you, but they're actually afraid of you yeah. and so uh, I'm not saying that's you, but i, I can yeah. see that it's nervous energy and but well, how just
4: just expelling that nervous energy, you know, yeah. like yeah. I'm not necessarily nervous like uh, it's just up until the moment I get on stage, and then I'm on stage and I'm fine, you know.
3: That's exactly true, yeah. I mean, in my experience as a performer performing, that's true. As soon as you get going, it feels normal. But uh, up until then, yeah, it's weird. Well, anyway, you're just fantastic at at the performing, and uh, I want to talk to you about these songs. Now, first of all, though, before we get to All Blue, I alluded to the fact that you uh, have been making music uh, prior to the outfit, and I think even since you've been in the outfit, I mean, obviously you're in it right now. Did you used to go as JR, or what's going on there?
0: Yeah,
4: yeah, I went as JR, And then I realized that, well, I've always been kind of scared of using my full name because, like, you know, we mentioned it, I think, before. It's a mouthful, and a lot of people look at it because there's a lot of vowels in it, Mm -hmm. and, and it's very easily mispronounced. So I was trying to shorten it, but then somewhere along the lines, I figured it was time to embrace my name and... Go for it.
3: Hmm. Probably a little of that insecurity (laughs) that you're talking about creeping in there, too.
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I used JR when I I released my uh, EP, and that was kind of when I was playing music, I was making music with my friends in Welland when I was like 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 17 to 20, I would say, and then I just kind of had to take a break from it and... Distance myself. So my EP was like my first kind of introduction back into that world after a few years off. Yeah, trying to find myself or whatever. Right,
3: right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay, so now you feel? I mean, no one feels fully formed. Uh, there is we're all works in progress. I would argue, mm-hmm. but but are you feeling like okay, this is this is me fully formed for now?
4: Yeah, for sure.
3: Fully realized.
4: Yeah, well, yeah. We'll see. Uh, this is this is all blue is the version of me when I recorded All Blue.
3: Which was when again?
4: Uh that was August 2020.
3: Oh wow, we're going back a couple of years. Oh so yeah. It's been a while. So you before I usually say this sort of for the end of the call or the chat, do you feel like you're already moving on from this sound and this sort of approach or In your your new work, I mean, sorry? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
4: I mean, I think there are always going to be similarities because I think that people fall back on what feels familiar. I mean, some people, at least I think I I realize that in myself, but uh, definitely my interests have changed sonically, vocally, in a way I feel more sure of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Even in writing, like, in, in my li- lyricism, like it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's, I think change is inevitable. Yeah. I think if you're only, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you're not really learning and growing. So I Fair hope enough. that my next record is, is, is different. Okay. And I have ideas for that, but I'm gonna keep a tight lip on
3: it. You never know what's gonna happen until you actually start making a thing like that.
4: Exactly. And that's another yeah. thing I've realized. Like you can have an idea in its earliest stages and it sounds one way and then you get into a room with people and it completely transforms and becomes something entirely different which is one of the things i really love about recording and music
3: yeah creating things with other people too because someone will just say why don't you make that bridge the chorus and you're like what no (laughs) and then you think about it like oh you actually just saved the song, and I didn't even know it, right? Yeah. I, I think that that can happen. I feel like we talked a little bit about some of your rock influences, but I don't recall if we ever... I mentioned and invoked country music. Yes. But I don't actually know if we landed on why that particular idiom speaks to you. Uh, it spoke How it started to speak to you, rather. I, uh, I think it's speaking to you. I can tell by all the music you've been making. Yeah. Uh, but what was it about country that spoke to you? Can you get at that a little
2: bit?
4: Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, I think there's an honestness in country music, kind of really matter-of-fact way of communicating to the listener that uh, always resonated with me. I like, I think I, I you know, I hope it's evident. I, I kind of like wordplay, whether or not I'm like cognizant of doing it or not. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's just what connected with me: the really tight harmonies, the down-to-earthness.
3: Um <laughs> <laughs> does seem authentic, yeah, it seems yeah. like it's real, yeah, 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 I think um it's an interesting point you're raising, and I don't know how you're going to take this because I'm still wrestling with it. I think we've been living a lot of us anyway, and as a culture with certain musical expressions that sort of take on these generic forms for a long some of them for a long time. Let's say, well geez, it's 2020. Let's say 70, 80 years, certain idioms have sort of developed and, you know, the things developed from the blues and folk. And, mm-hmm. and here we are uh, from all sorts of traditions. But I feel like and this is going to be potentially controversial. I don't know if it's just because they're so old, but some genres appear more timeless in the year 2022, as we're speaking right now, mm-hmm. I think there are certain genres that you can age into as a performer, a little more gracefully, meaning there are songs you could probably sing that you wrote when you were 20 uh, and perform in, in, when you're 80, and they kind of would still work. you're not mm-hmm. they, they might work irrespective of what else uh, what other trends and things are going on. Yeah. and again, I'm trying to couch this because we've lived with some of these longer than others, because I sometimes think of uh, some of the hip-hop people I like. And I wonder how they're going to do it. Some for some reason, it just always occurs to me: like, is Jay Z going to be sixty? Yeah. And doing this like he's done it at fifty. Yeah. But is he going to keep doing this? Would the Beastie Boys still be able to hop around and call themselves the Beastie Boys if you know? Obviously, sadly, we lost Adam Yauch. For me, it's sad. And for lots of people, it's sad too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm getting at is, I, I don't mean to pick on that music, but it's a newer form. And it really is youth-oriented, like it's really an expression, or it seems to be anyway, an expression of sort of youthful irreverence. Whereas country music, because we've lived with it for so long, you could potentially play it for your grandmother, or your grandfather, right. or whoever, and not, and they'd be like, "Oh, this reminds me of the time I saw Hank Snow at the whatever at the <laughs> Opry," and you'd be like, "Right," but we just anyway. I don't know if this is a question per se, yeah. But I wonder about younger artists who who end up in these realms because it does it meant something to their parents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents and you heard stories and you sort of gravitate towards this music and it works intergenerationally maybe a little bit more than like an edm track might oh Um, yeah
4: i mean yeah for sure
3: so again, not. I don't know if this is a question per se, but does that occur to you? Like uh, in, I, I, I doubt you've. I, I assume this is all very organic for you.
4: Yeah, it is very yeah. much so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you raise a very interesting question.
3: Um, or
0: po- a I don't,
4: point. don't. Yeah.
3: point. Yeah, I'm not sure what my point was. I just wanted to go on a ramble, which happened to right. me. I mean, but, I but, but, I
4: kind of hope Jay Z yeah. is performing at 60. Yeah, I do too. And Still making music.
3: I do too. It's just it's an inter- it's just to me a younger form. Right. And to be stunting. Yeah. Like a young person at 60 like, you know, we see it all the time. There's a certain ageism. We're okay, here's an example. I know uh, your partner Roddy, mm-hmm. right? you he's your what is Roddy to you? He's your husband? He's my husband. Yeah. Husband, yeah. And <laughs> he plays he plays with you in the outfit and I, uh, he's on this record yes. which again, we're going to get to in a second. Rod, Roddy huge Bob Dylan fan, right?
4: Oh my god. The biggest.
3: Yeah. Like me, a huge <laughs> Bob Dylan fan, yeah. and probably like me, has been seeing him live for as long as he can. Yeah. And what an inspiring thing, this guy. Like this, he's oh 80. Oh, my God. We saw spe- him.
4: We, wa- we saw him perform. When was that? He was in West Virginia. Uh, November. Was it November? I don't know. I can't remember. Last year? Last year, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I usually go see him uh, if he's in Ontario or nearby. I just go on a little pilgrimage, and I go to as many shows as I can. So I yeah. really mis- I didn't go... Uh, for pandemic reasons, I did not yeah. go on a road trip to any... And he wasn't near me, so I would have had to fly and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Anyway, <laughs> I love him. And here's an example of someone who is still making... Singing the same songs he wrote 50, 60 years ago, whatever it's been. Uh, I lose track of time sometimes. and uh, But changing them. Changing yes. them, and so they're timeless in a sense, but I think he's also arrived at a fact that it can be anything, yes, uh, which is a bit of an escape route from context and temporality. Like, I'll just this is the arrangement for this song I wrote in 1965. Now, like, I, I've just mm-hmm. altered it, this is the way I sing it, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. So, there, there, and so maybe as you get older, if you're someone who's in a younger musical form, you adapt, but
4: yes. I think, yeah, I think that's a way of uh, keeping things fresh and relatable to where you're at in your life. Yeah. I mean, how long has Bob Dylan been playing, you know, like a Rolling Stone?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: You know, for forever. How old is he now? He's 80? He's 82.
3: 82. Uh, No, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He's 81 as we're speaking right now. Okay. 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 Yeah, You were like, oh, that's okay. 82 is too... <laughs> 82? That is a bridge too far, Whoa. Mr. Dillon. Yeah.
4: 81? Yeah. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, well, all I'm getting at, though, is I think when sometimes, I'm sure you've gotten this, when a younger person like yourself is exploring mm-hmm. a relatively ancient genre, you might get a little eyebrow raise or side eye from an older person be like, yeah. huh? Do you get that?
4: Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. don't don't we all. It's so funny. When I every single time if I'm in a room with an older person and they they realize I I love Patsy Cline or the Everly Brothers or you know, Emmy Lou Harris or whatever, Dolly Parton list goes on. They're like,
0: "Well, you're too young to know that."
4: You know? Yeah, it's I, always the line. Yeah. It's like, "No, um, no one's too young, no one's too old to know anything. We have we have the internet.
3: Well, know? I will say though, And the world
4: at our fingertips. I
3: will say imagine being young and brown and being into country music. Yeah, cuz I <laughs> I got to I'm sure you're... I got to Edmonton and I met someone who's much 20 maybe 20 got 25 years on me, maybe more. And she was yeah. talking about the Holy Road. She was talking, she was referencing someone in the Holy Modal Rounders. And mm-hmm. I said, "Oh, from the Holy Modal Rounders." And she like her eyes she's like, "Why how would you know that (laughs) and I'm like yeah
4: wait a a minute
3: you can know things from everywhere yeah Yeah, you're right it's not just the internet though well maybe it is
4: well it's not just the internet it's just you know you you find things I think music your music interest you cultivates in such an organic way everyone's ever everyone gravitates to like the things that they like to listen to so I think it's only natural that like if you want to find something, it'll find you, or you will find it. I don't know. No,
3: no, no that's fair. I appreciate where you're coming from, and I didn't mean to bog us down no. in this. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I end up uh, just exp- espousing tips and theories. I don't
4: feel bogged down at all. Okay, um, good.
3: Well, I to appreciate go back that. to
4: your Jay Z yeah. theory and whatever, I think there's also there's also a point I want to raise that all of Jay Z's fans are maybe also sixty year olds.
3: Well, and I, and I don't mean to be raucous about this. It's just yeah. you don't, you, we used to hear it more about the stones. Yeah. Uh, like, when are they going to stop? How yeah. much money is enough money? Yeah. And I went to see them a few years ago. Uh, I want to say it was 2018 in some big field in, in Ontario. And it was great. And I, all I thought, all my cynicism melted away because I saw people who had known each other for decades smiling at each other just touching each other just touching each other like just watching keith or mick or ron wood sort of just just glancing hands on shoulders with charlie watts and whoever like look at this isn't this amazing Mm -hmm. we're still here and so all of that ageism and rockism or ageism rather that might have been percolating as in any of us like can you believe these guys are still gone i think the joy of doing this is timeless in itself yeah uh, but I do think people are less like, "How is AC/DC and the Rolling Stones going to keep doing this?" Hmm. Because th- those idioms are just so old, and, yeah. and I mean, they've they've obviously copped blues idioms. But yeah. I'm not this person. I want my my the the hip hop I love. I, I I just think it's young, yeah. and I don't know why I'm so focused on it. But <laughs> I just think in the context of a young person making kind of a music that is older it's just worth thinking about yeah because you could i mean it depends what happens in 60 years 50 years maybe it will be completely out of style for you to be doing this and you'll seem yeah i mean
4: who knows i I don't i try to have my finger on the pulse of you know what (laughs) what is popular these days and then it just ends up depressing me so
3: (laughs) well you shouldn't be depressed you're you're right on the vanguard i think this record is great Uh, I want to ask you some questions about, in an overarching sense, what these songs kind of encapsulate for you. Because I feel like there's some pent-up emotion and sentiment here, because you've been waiting to present yourself as fully realized. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems very reflective of... I don't want to say there's regret in it, but I go through this sometimes. When I can't sleep, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have talked more to that person in high school. Right. Oh, why was I a jerk? To that yeah. person in university are yeah. you re- reflecting upon relationships that did and didn't occur here
4: oh oh yeah 100 yeah. percent. i am also that type of person that like lays awake at night and <laughs> like thinks about the one time i said like i'll probably be laying awake at night being like did i say the right things to vish you know? <laughs> <Like, laughs> sorry no. you did no you, no i well, cut it
3: off at the past. you did yeah, you absolutely yeah. did yeah no <laughs> All right. No, I, I, I have that too, for sure. Yeah. So, so it's a reflective record in that I, regard. I
4: toil, I toil, and I'm a highly empathetic person who feels a lot, and I can sort of tap into any emotion by just thinking about something or reflecting on an experience that either happened to me personally or to somebody else. You know. Yeah. And so I think maybe maybe that's my secret weapon. Like, I, I hate to say, you know, the songs are about this specific person because they're not really, at the end of the day, like, I mean.
3: I think they're about you.
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: The very th- first line of this record from the, the, the first song, I believe, and the thing yeah. that I was sent is, If I Knew Now. Yeah. And the first line is, If I Knew Now, What I Did Not Know Then, which is sort of a cliche on the one mm-hmm. hand, or it's something that you're, Hindsight is twenty-twenty, mm-hmm. but I feel like that one line kind of encapsulates where we are with this record and where you're at with this record. And realizing it is really a lot about y- mm-hmm. you, even though you have a song called "You."
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah. is a really yeah. re- record
3: about yourself. <laughs> uh, it's about me, yeah. Juliana, kind of thing. Is that a fair way of looking at
4: yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I have a tendency of. I put blinders on. I don't really want to think about it. I don't really want to get too in-depth with... I didn't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I didn't really know what it was about. I was just writing these songs as a way to, like, you know, cope with these, you know, feelings of reflection and trying to communicate with others and myself, I guess. So... You know, as we get further down the line, and and you know the records finally coming out and everything, it's it's interesting to hear what how other people, you know, interpret interpret the album.
3: Well, I appreciate I you. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I always, no,
4: I, I just think that's an astute observation. Well, <laughs> oh, I like, oh yeah,
3: I appreciate your self awareness and and your feeling that you are empathetic because I do think in sort of delving into there's a lot of stuff here just about delving into your own mind. Hmm. And quite literally, like in the song, Isn't It a Pity, which, by the way, for those who haven't heard it yet, the first two lines reference the George Harrison song, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Is it, isn't it a pity? Isn't it a shame? Like, that's the that's what he says in that yeah. song. You're a George Harrison fan? Are you a George person? Oh,
4: yeah. George George was my favorite Beatle for a really long time. And now, I don't know. It, it, it rotates quite a bit.
3: Uh, you were going to say Paul, weren't you?
4: Uh, I've been super into Paul lately. And... uh
3: People are always. I could tell by the the sound and look on your face just now, because people still there's a sheepish. Oh yeah. I don't. A- I I I grew up a John Lennon fan hugely, uh, yeah. because when you're a young child and you discover the Beatles, when I was like six years old or something, so my I think that's right. My cousin played me a Beatles tape and I was just hooked. And when I got mm-hmm. hooked on the Beatles, I read every book and I I got every yeah. magazine and I watched every documentary I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being six or seven years old and discovering that one of the Beatles was shot dead? Like oh my God! Like the tro- how do you even
4: process that? I,
3: what I'm saying is, I was <laughs> just presented with this information, yeah, and accepted it as a thing that happened. I think, but it just it was like, okay, well, that's my guy, the guy who's mm-hmm. gone. I'm so sad about it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. When you become a John Lennon guy, you instantly develop a slight revulsion to Paul because of the narrative. Right. But then, if you read more stuff, or you read like, uh, have you ever read uh, uh, Here, There, and Everywhere the, by the Beatles engineer Jeff what? Emmerich? Uh,
4: no, I ha- no, I have not.
3: My God, first of all, you should read that, uh, absolutely. If you want, I can mail you my copy, just so you can get it. But I found it, and it's great. But it's a very interesting take. He engineered basically all their Mm -hmm. records except for the ones where they in the late sixties were like, oh, we don't need other people. George Martin doesn't even do anything. Like they had this weird attitude for a while. Yeah. Anyway, slags George constantly. Yeah. Slags George is just like they can't do like how many times do we have to go through this solo? How many times blah blah. blah. Which was shocking to me because I'm a big George guy too. Yeah. But just interestingly, there are some Paul apologists, no pun intended. (laughs) <laughs> but it is, it is fascinating how much he drove. I I just was. uh John liked the edgy stuff. Paul liked the mainstream pop stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what we we're. But the, have you learned what I'm getting at? Is have you learned that this is some revisionist history? Oh yeah. Oh and that yeah. Paul was actually the driving force in so many ways.
4: Yeah. I mean, he was the glue that kept everything together. He was yeah. like the workhorse. If it wasn't for Paul, you know, after Brian Epstein died. Yeah. it wasn't for Paul I think it they would have fallen apart a lot sooner I've recently like I always grew up listening to the Beatles and I think that I took to George because you know I had this naive I was believing that you know that narrative that was so surface level you know you know about Paul and and John Lennon and I thought you know I always liked the the black sheep of the of, sure, the, the, of the the underdog, you know, the, so the I,
3: quiet one, literally the quiet one, yeah,
4: li- yeah, the the quiet yeah. one. So I yeah. I had a special place in my heart for for George, but I have recently gotten really into Paul McCartney, and I've had some pretty huge debates with certain people who were like, I, you know, have that kind of like, oh, Paul sucks, and I just go,
3: I don't, I don't think so. I think if you look at the seventies. I don't know yeah, I, don't, I don't John so. <laughs> Johns was I have like the John Lennon box set, and I have the George Harrison vinyl box sets. They're quite uneven. I will say that. like yeah. if I can be objective, I'm a diehard fan, but if I can be objective, Paul was focused and was goal oriented and yeah. and i I can understand in our sort of punk way why we would reject that. yeah, but I, but I also think there's such craftsmanship there that yeah. has been lost anyway. Yeah. This was a weird. Ta- oh, and also, just fine. <laughs> I will say, for my part, finally, in the Get Back movie solidified a lot of things, too. Oh, yeah. Because I thought George came across very poorly. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was tricks of editing. He was sullen. Yep. It was bad. John is obviously high as a kite. And, yep. and Paul is just struggling to be like, what do I do?
4: Yeah. yeah like, please, everybody, please.
3: Yes. And he's just <laughs> it's quite clear. I don't think it's biased. I think it's right. You know, yeah. I think it's yeah. right. It's right there. Anyway, where I was coming from with the brain stuff <laughs> is that you do this amazing thing. Uh, where did this come from? A wily old cadaver, a velvet swinging hammer, a windmill of a force is what keeps us both apart. Caught up in your membrane, amoeba cradled shell. I am crying <laughs> on the inside like a water swells. That's about someone's brain and mind. I think that's a yeah. right. First of all, am yeah. I? I, I didn't do well in biology in high school. I think that's what's going on there. That's a really remarkable way. And and that, where did this all? Sorry, this is what I was getting to earlier. You make. I said something to my wife the other day, yesterday. Where? What song is it? Well, you say something so strange to me that I had to like look it up. I'll think of it in a second. Can you talk about that uh, line? Those. Where did that come well, from? When
4: when you say that when you when you just quoted those <laughs> back to me, I was like, wow, what? <laughs>
3: what not Um, not what i'm coming from is that's not typical to me yeah that is not stereotypical country music fair that is really fascinating imagery to put across ideas we have dealt with for decades centuries the the human heart the human mind you know the, the emotions and the passion you're doing it in such a interesting and by the way for those who just heard that it's sung so beautifully that the clinicalness of it or whatever, the coldness of that sort of sci- scientific aspects just don't even mm-hmm. register. But when I looked at them on the page, I'm like, what in the hell? Where did she come up with this? Can you talk about I that a wish, bit?
4: Yeah, I wish I could tell you. I kind of slip into this. When I'm writing songs and when I'm, I mean, sometimes they start off as poems. And, you know, I, I typically all of my, Lyrics come to me right before I'm about to go to sleep. Huh. And, and, uh, I don't know if that was the case for this song, but I guess what I'm trying to get to is I just let go of thought and just feel. And that sounds very cliche, but that's, that's all, that's, that's the only way I know how to explain it. Like, I'm not like, I'm not aware of it. I just kind of write the words and then look at it and try to make sense of it, make some changes, and then it you know then you get the lyrics to isn't it a pity
3: beyond <laughs> uh beyond probably reading books and studying lyrics, do you have any kind of like uh English studies background? No, okay, here's the thing I want to read. You've got this amazing song you, which has kind of like a almost a motown uh I want to say Phil Spectory, but I know he's kind of persona non grata, but
0: uh,
3: got that kind of vibe. Listen to this. A question, intonate the sentence you're about to grow. Reveal it. I dreamt about you holding me nine months ago. Holy shit. So I was like, intonate the sentence you're about to grow. Nine months ago, there's like some, you know, baby stuff, I would say, going on. I, I was like, whoa, that is an incredible sequence of words. In this otherwise like very rambunctious mm-hmm. pop song, ostensibly, mm-hmm. you, it seems purposeful to me. You're gonna you're gonna make some sugary confection for us to love, yeah. but you're gonna put a lot of thought and density. I think a little mm-hmm. bit is that fair?
4: Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to. This keeps happening to me. I embarrass <laughs> people with flattery, or I know it can be awkward to have someone say, "Holy shit." Your stuff is good. I just had this experience yesterday, and I've, I'm I, I had a band on, and I love their new record so much that I couldn't help saying this. And similarly, I was just yeah. like, I'm a real word person. I love uh, mm-hmm. I love lyrical attention. I love people. And yeah. so the the detail here is really fascinating to me. That's all I want to get to. Um, mm-hmm. do you, what are you are you using? A, Bruce Springsteen, who I think is invoked on a couple of the guitar solos on this record. By the way, uh, reminds me of darkness on the edge of town stuff or whatever anyway Hmm. he used to use uh in the early days like a rhyming dictionary right uh to write those if you listen to like blinded by the light that's quite apparent now yeah uh and on the early records but um i don't know you just have a strong vocabulary because i have two english degrees and i had to look i'm like i gotta look up what the hell julianne is talking about here i don't know what these words are well, yeah, I mean, thank
4: you. That's, that's very kind of you to say. You're, you know, you, uh, saying that, yeah, I'm, I can't take compliments. It's something I need to work on.
0: Yeah. I'm Rod- the same.
4: Roddy's, Roddy's the same too. Like I try to yeah. like, we, yeah, it just goes, it goes south every time. But yeah, I, I grew up. So my, on my mom's side, they're all kind of English buffs. So maybe that's. Maybe that's the link there. Um, Scrabble?
3: Do you play a lot of Scrabble?
4: I love Scrabble.
3: I can tell. There's some Scrabble words here. You you'd get triple word scores on yeah. a couple of these. I love yeah.
4: I love Scrabble. Yeah. No, I was I would just say like my my family. Uh, yeah my my uncle's an, a a writer, and my aunt was a, a journalist as oh, well. Come on, there you go. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So maybe that's it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Did you-
3: Did you read a lot? Were you an avid reader as a child or now even?
4: I was an avid reader as a child. I'm not, I wish that I, I try to make an effort to read more. My attention span and my schedule is insane. So, and I'm not the type of person that I can, I can't read in a car. I don't know about you, but I get dizzy. Me too. I get, I get, like, car sick.
3: Yeah, it's, I get disoriented. I can't do it. I can kind of do it. I can do it on airplanes, but I can't do it yeah. in cars. Something yeah. about them. I get motion sick or something. And yeah, I can't same. shake it. Like, I'm like, oh, it's happening. Or my phone, even. I'm like, ah. Uh. Then yeah. I put it away. I'm like, it takes, like, forever for it to go away. So I, yeah. I agree. It's a real... And that's got to be shitty as a touring musician to not be able to do that.
4: Well, yeah. There's lots of long, long drives. So I, I try. I, I've been, you know... I tried... I started uh, reading... this is gonna sound insane the iliad Mm -hmm. again
0: Mm
4: -hmm. i i read it uh in university and i was like "Uh, you know what i'm gonna read it again and try to like really really take away something from it you know with this new perspective i have on life and uh you know just to see if i it hits me in a different way i guess
3: so wait a minute just a second here sorry what did you study at university
4: uh, I went. I went to university for visual arts. Oh, okay. Uh, and I had a liberal arts cl- class, so that's that's where that
3: came. So you took some English classes? Yes. Probably. Yeah. yeah okay.
4: Yeah, yeah. Liberal, I... liberal, liberal arts.
3: Got it. Okay, I got yeah. it. I just I feel like there's something going on. I, <laughs> I can tell you're a lover of language by your lyrics, yeah. and I, I can appreciate that. Here, mm-hmm. my, here, my this might be out of left field, but I picked up on something throughout the songs here, and by the time you get to Thistle and Thorn, it's for me more evident was the chur- is the church uh, or religion or spirituality is that something that guides you in any particular way?
4: Um, how should I put this? I guess so. I mean I'm not like a, I'm not a religious person I don't know if this is yeah I don't believe there's like an omnipotent being casting judgment on everybody from up in the sky. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't even know if there's a heaven or a hell. I be- I guess I believe in, in spirituality in the sense that like these are stories that are supposed to somehow reflect or help people navigate morality and, you know, being a better person yeah. and trying to do the right thing.
3: Yeah. I appreciate, I, so, yeah. I appreciate your, uh, relative candor, your guarded candor there. Uh, I highlighted Thistle and Thorn, like, the well, the one thing about spirituality or religious texts is some of the stories are quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think as someone, I gather you like stories and storytelling. So mm-hmm. I mentioned Thistle and Thorn because I read it as some sort of approximation of trying to ponder the story of jesus christ if you will if is that am i out of left field with this
4: i mean yes yeah, sort of i i've never heard that perspective i don't think that i no i don't think that i went into writing that with that pers- perspective
3: like sticky old fingers caressing a bleed flowing carelessly mm-hmm. over a self righteous being it's a heavy weight it's thistle it's thorned it's mm-hmm. everything wanting what you heed not be warned it's a heavy weight
4: yeah totally i i wrote that during, like, right when we got home from tour. I started writing that while we were on tour. We were on a tour with the outfit in the States mm-hmm. when everything hit the fan. And, uh yeah, I I think I had issues with how the world was reacting to coronavirus and the pandemic and how foolish everyone was in terms of like you know not wanting to keep everybody safe and being kind of naive about everything so yeah that that I guess whatever that feeling is I mean hope hopelessness resentment just feeling like you know there are certain people in this life that feel like they're more important than others
3: yeah yeah and I th- I think religion has been... Weaponized for a long time mm-hmm. in this regard, so I can see you trying to be careful negotiating that.
4: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a I grew up in a religious household. My parents raised us going to church, and I went to a Catholic high school. So okay, you know, right. um, yeah. and you know, then to cap it off, I worked as a stain uh, in stained glass restoration in churches you know mm-hmm. restoring beautiful you know huge windows that you know every single window you see in a church i mean maybe not every single one but you know depicts you know Cain and Abel or you know David and Goliath or the crucifixion you know yeah it's those those stories sur- surrounded me for quite some time so it's always kind of followed me but i believe in spirituality whether it be you know if you want to be a Buddhist, if you want to be a, hin- you know, if you're uh, into Hinduism, you know, if you're a whatever, whatever floats your boat.
3: No, I, I don't think you're, <laughs> I don't, it's so subtle and personal. I don't think you're proselytizing yeah. or anything, but there are certainly yeah. references. There's a song called Archangel. There's yeah. re- references to celestial beings. There's references to Psalms. Uh, mm-hmm. So just gently, everything you've just said, then I think validates my question. Mm. I feel like you, whether you, you however you're now uh, processing it and conveying it, you're somewhat steeped in this kind of vernacular and this kind of thought, and you're processing it given the state of our existence right now. Is that Definitely. A, okay. Definitely. Then I think we've solved that one. Thank you, Jules. <laughs> I appreciate it very much. Peace.
4: Case closed.
3: Well, listen, I, I don't want to uh, uh, ruin the record for anyone. I, I, I worry sometimes that I go into such a detail. We do, my guests and I. But I just want to say, to sort of sum up, it's a wonderful record. It's a great sounding record, too. Uh, you've got a, some outfit members, some uh, guests, uh, mm-hmm. pretty amazing band. Did you want to talk a little bit about them?
1: Uh, yeah.
4: Well, Aaron Goldstein produced the record. Uh, we did it at Baldwin Street Sound in Toronto, which is, I, I guess, now shuttered. Mm-hmm. It's no longer, which is sad, but whatever happens. And uh, so it was nice to have done this with Goldstein. It was nice to have, you know, Ian played drums. I had Jason uh, Bhattacharya Uh, he played with me before. He played on my EP, so I had him in doing some stuff as well. And we had Gavel because at the time Roddy couldn't get over the border. Oh, right. So we we had Gavel come in, and he did an amazing job. He's a a, you know he's a professional. So
3: (laughs) on bass. So Roddy would normally Roddy, your husband would normally play bass, but he couldn't. Yes, stuck in Virginia or something like that.
4: He was stuck in Virginia, yeah. but he did he did play on a few of the tracks. Hmm. Um, so we kind of split it up, and made sure, yeah. made sure that we we had him on because he's the best. Yeah, in the biz.
3: And my friend Tom Hamerton's playing the keys, doing a yeah. great job. Yeah, 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 yeah.
4: Yeah. He. Oh man, when that was probably one of my favorite days because when he added his touch on everything, it just it livened it up in a way yeah. that I, you know. I guess I hadn't anticipated. I didn't really fully, you know, know
0: what was going to happen.
3: Well, I I just want to say, again, I wanted to give people... I wanted to talk to you. I want to give people an impression of this record, but they need to check it out. So I'm very excited that you made time for me. Uh, If people want to learn more about you and All Blue, where would you like to send them, Juliana?
4: Um, You should go to You've Changed Records. You Mm -hmm. should uh, order the record. You can also go to my band camp um, and you can order the record there and then I have some merch there too if you want so
3: and, and you're on some socials
4: oh yeah uh, Juliana Riolino official on Instagram
3: <laughs> <laughs> official that's just in good. case never...
4: just in case there's any other Juliana realinos out there.
3: Everyone's getting hacked, and all sorts of fake accounts are coming yeah. up now. I, you're right to do the official. Yeah. I mean that that's ironclad. No one can dispute that. It says official. It says official.
4: I don't. I don't yeah. have the check mark. I don't know if I believe in the check mark. Yeah. But. Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. And future plans. At this point, we talked earlier about how you're still mulling over uh, new songs, oh, yeah. uh, and you've got Outfit touring uh always it seems like what yeah. about yourself are you going to bring this these songs to the stage so to speak
4: oh i hope so i'm right now i'm working on doing like a small run of shows uh in ontario and quebec uh in december early december and then from there depending on what our schedule's like coming up with the outfit kind of sandwiching little tours in between then but Hmm. nothing's confirmed yet but it's in the works
3: it's in the works i yeah. know that um and i don't mean to get into anyone's business but i've noticed that uh with the release of uh carson mccone's record carson also in the outfit uh dan Romano's wife uh, i i've noticed a lot of uh, shared bills uh because a lot of the band on the well dan was dan and carson were the band so yeah. I, I think some of the outfit you can tell me what's going on, but I believe some of the outfit is basically backing Carson up. Is that right?
4: Yeah, we all do. So yeah, we yeah. we go on stage with her. We open the show and then finish up, change our clothes, which seems ridiculous. But <laughs> I also think it's so ridiculous that it it makes sense. Um,
3: we were watching a bit of the Live at Lee's yesterday. And my wife noticed that each member was wearing this, a different shade of... On stage, but all the same, yes. so pants, top, and bottoms were the same shade, roughly. Yeah, but each member was—that's purposeful. That's a little no, purposeful no, thing.
4: We, no, we didn't plan that.
3: Oh, that's just the way it worked out. <laughs> no, that's hilarious. Just so Dan's wearing all <laughs> no, blue. No, no, Carson's no. wearing all red. That's hilarious. We planned. Anyway, it. we planned it. <laughs> where where I was coming from with, that, <laughs> where I was coming from with that though is, and again, none of my business. But could you potentially, given who's on this record, uh, could the outfit back you up to open some shows sometimes?
4: I mean. Yeah. Ostensibly. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 uh, that seems to be the plan depending on, depending on just what happens, um, with the outfit and everything in the future. But that, that, that is the plan. The, the deal is kind of to, you know, like Carson had still life and, um, obviously when you release a record, you need to tour the record. So it made sense for her to open obviously, you know, keep everyone have, you know, it's the most practical decision. We're all in the same band. So, yeah. you know, just flip the switch and, you know, do her material. Then we do outfit stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's what made sense for, for these last two tours. So I'm hoping that, you know, in the future, there might be a sort of collaboration where I open the show and then outfit follows.
3: Okay. That's awesome. But yeah.
4: We'll see. We'll see. It's a lot to ask of everybody. As no, well. <laughs> I know.
3: Absolutely. It's a marathon. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just, and I didn't mean to pry. I just thought, uh, or, or or potentially uh, give you an amazing idea. I just thought I would throw it out there because I, I know it's not unprecedented to, for something like that to happen. Okay. You're also on Twitter and stuff, I think. I am. Yeah. Uh, okay.
4: Twitter's JR Juliana Sings.
3: Yeah, that's, easy to, that's going to be easy to remember. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to link to as many of these things as I can oh, for the podcast listeners so they can just click on it and find you and all that stuff. Juliana, if we can go out on a, a song from All Blue right Ooh. now, could you pick one and tell us why it came to mind?
4: Oh, my gosh. Which one do I choose? Uh, I, would, I would like to go out on Isn't It a Pity? Uh, you brought that you brought that up i did That's yeah. one of it's one of my
3: favorites anything um, about anything in particular you want to say about it before we hear it?
4: well, I have a wild mind and <laughs> pen for throwing weird words in
3: <laughs> i hope I have not made you self conscious about creating these, these No, you you have you
4: have not you have not, you okay. have not. Okay. i think if anything you've just uh You've just made me realize, like, yeah, maybe it isn't, it isn't, it isn't, like, not normal, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's, I don't give myself enough credit, so. It's completely,
3: it's completely idiosyncratic, and you've got such a beautiful voice, and and, uh, I can hear your heart in all these songs, too, so I just want to say it's resonated with me and and all the members of my family that have been hearing Uh your record playing in the house, so it does mean a lot. And I'm happy to go out on this. So from the beautiful new album, All Blue, this is Isn't It a Pity. Juliana, thank you so much for making time for me, as I said earlier, and for being you and for, uh, you know, all these things. I I wish you the best luck in the future. And I hope we talk again soon.
4: Thank you. Right back at you.
3: Well, that was a fun one for me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Juliana Rialino uh, on this. The 20, uh, what is it? The seven hundred. I said twentieth. I went back seven hundred episodes. Seven hundred and twenty fourth episode of Creative Control is what this is, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've uh, heard about and you're looking for it and you just can't find that thing, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter which I should do for this month. Good reminder, Vish. Good job there. Haven't done that yet. I'm going to do that now. Anyway, why was I talking about this? Oh, yeah. If you want to learn about any of that stuff I just said, go to my website, which is vishkana.com. And like Creative Control on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter, at Vish Creative. Or follow me directly on Twitter and on uh, Instagram, at vishkana. Also visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, including getting uh, access to episodes earlier than everyone who does not donate $6 to the show's Patreon. Also, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. As I say often, uh, you don't have to start with $6. You could start with $1, $2, $3, $4, even $5. Uh, and that's amazing. That's very generous of you. You can do more than 6 You can go uh, $18 a month or 26 39 I mean, whatever you want. Uh, and you can always change it anytime. You can also pay for a whole year. And that uh, covers you and me. Anyway, lots of options there. Please consider uh, doing that to support the show and keep the show going. It is a fair amount of work, but so is everything, right? Anyway, patreon.com slash creative control if you'd like to contribute. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, all of which are located in Guelph, Ontario, and Grandad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, All of these folks provide in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my uh, dear old friend, Jim Guthrie. Uh, he lends me some music for this show, and you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Juliana. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you will check out her music and this beautiful new album, All Blue, via You've Changed Records. Uh, she's great. That label's great. Everything's great. So, yeah. Yeah. Also, please uh, subscribe to the podcast or follow it and tell your friends all about it and spread the word about creative control. It means a lot to me when I see that. Uh, It's very gratifying. I have to say, even the little things like that. It's not little. It's big. Anyway, I'm rambling and babbling. I will talk to you very soon. Be well. Bye for now.